Amen. You guys can take a seat. You guys give it up for the worship band. There's nothing better than hearing a thousand voices singing, How Great is Our God. And something that I think a lot of us kind of, as we enter this place, and I said this earlier, man, when we enter a place like this, with, with, you know, 15 different churches, we're all lifting up the name of our King and of our Lord, and there's only one way to do that, and that is loudly and with our voices, and so I'm really, really thankful that you guys were able to do this. How are you guys feeling this morning? You guys feel rested? Feel good? Yeah, come on. Hey, uh, go ahead and finish this quote for me. With great power comes... With great power comes... One more time, with great power comes... I'm going to go on a limb and say Tobey Maguire is the greatest Spider-Man that has ever come across the scene. <clears throat> None of this Tom Holland garbage, okay? And if you guys... <clears throat> hey, listen. If you guys think that Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man... Uh, it's just because he's dashing. Um, hey, uh... Why do we, I mean, you know, even just as we're talking about Spider-Man, like, why do we look up to these people, right? Why do we cheer when we hear Tobey Maguire? Or why do we cheer when we hear um, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, all these different superheroes? We cheer, we idolize these people that are dressed in spandex that are punching aliens in the face, right? And we have this exalted view, in, in a sense, and I know it's sounding weird, but in a sense, from the time that you were little, you always looked up to these larger-than-life beings, right? These superheroes. And at the same time, you've, you begin to ask yourself, man, what is it about them that I actually want to be like, right? Because if you look at their life, you recognize that, like, man, their life kind of sucks, right? Like, they're, 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 you know, burdened with all this heavy responsibility. They cannot live normal lives. They can't just go and hang out with friends. They have to be, you know, sucked into all these crazy things where their life is put in danger, like literally every single day. Yet at the same time, we aspire as little kids to be like these superheroes. And ultimately, I mean, the reason that we do this is because these superheroes have this epic purpose. They've been given this epic mission and this epic purpose to go and live out despite all the discomfort and all the burdens that they might face, all the dangers and fears that, that present themselves before them. And so they're like, you know, they're, you know, diving straight into these things. And for a lot of us, man, like I said, when we were little, we just wanted to be like that. We wanted to live out these epic stories, right? And I think as just even as we're probably asking ourselves this question, you guys are going to college. Many of you might be going to college next year, and you're trying to figure out your purpose, right? And you're asking yourself the question, what is my purpose? And I would argue, man, that many of us are looking for our purpose in the wrong place. You're never going to find your purpose in the things that you achieve. And that's just a fact, and that's something that you can see play out around you. Tom Brady has this famous interview, I think it was with 60 Seconds, and basically, you know, the interviewer was asking these questions like, you've, you know, 
what do you have to say? Like, after you've won these, I think it was at the time he had three rings. How many rings does Tom Brady have now? Like seven or something? Crazy. At the time, he only had three rings, right? And so he's just in this moment of, of honesty. He just says, man, I, I, I've got all this success. I've got an amazing wife, an amazing family. I've got three Super Bowl rings. I'm, I'm a household name. And, uh, and yet, at the same time, I ask myself, and I'm con- you know, constantly telling myself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. This can't surely be it. Tom Brady, somebody who had probably dreams of being a quarterback one day, and is somebody who was immensely successful at that. He accomplished all that he could. In a sense, he was the pinnacle of success in the NFL. And yet he's asking the question. He still doesn't feel like he's found his purpose. He still feels wanting. And that just goes back to the fact, man, our purpose is never going to be found in the things that we achieve. You might, thinking, you might be thinking, man, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to go to college. I want to go uh, even maybe just in a, in a profession that will help people. But void of Christ in the things that he has called us to do, we will actually never find our purpose. Why? Because you're talking about your gifting. Man, if you're gifted to be a lawyer, if you're gifted to be a doctor, if you're gifted to be an engineer or whatever it might be, even a pastor, even a speaker, communicator, you're still not going to find your purpose in those giftings. Because ultimately, one day, Lord willing, if you achieve all those things and you're standing in this place of achievement and success, and the people that you used to idolize and look up to that were these things, now it's you. And you've recognized, man, I'm still a broken person and still in need, desperate need of a God. And I'm standing here with all these achievements. And I'm halfway through my life. And I look back at my life. And yes, I mean, I was able to do some awesome things. But at the end of the day, man, I don't feel fulfilled. And so some of you guys, even just as you're asking, where am I going to go to college? And I'd ask that you guys would first... Dive into the word of God to find your purpose because that's where it's going to be found. There's this famous quote by this author and psychologist. His name was Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor and he was also a psychologist. And so he studied while he was in, while he was in the concentration camps, he was writing all these notes down about the human condition. He was observing people and he was observing people in in, in, a, in a dark place, right? I mean, think, he was surrounded by some of the most evil, that he, evil things that human history could ever bring up, right? He was surrounded by death, by brutality, by suffering day in and day out. And he has this amazing thing that he, that he comes to realize, and he writes it in his book, and his most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning. And he writes this quote, and it's a very famous quote, and he says, Life is never made unbearable by circumstance. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. A man who had every right to put all of his eggs in one basket, 
and to claim that it's all been stolen away from the, by the Nazis. And he's surrounded by this suffering. And he has this to say, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. A man who is in the most unimaginably cruel circumstance says this. Now he doesn't only say that, he says, and life's only made unbearable. Life is unbearable if man does not have meaning or purpose. And so for the Christian, for many of us, man, you know, for some of us that aren't Christians, we might be asking ourselves, what is my purpose? And for some of us that are Christians, we're asking ourselves this, what is the will of, what is God's will for my life? What is his will for my life? And we ask this question as if one day, and maybe we pray, God, what is your will for my life? Would you reveal it to me? And we pray and we ask these things in such a way that one day we hope that God will give us this vision or this, this feeling, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and do this specific thing. And many of us, it's just, we're just talking about our gifting. We're talking about, man, I'm really good at this one thing, and so this is what I'm going to go and do. But from the time you were born to the time that you're, you know, time that you're 18, you're kind of beginning to realize the things that you're good at. And so God has placed those things in you to help use you for those things. But at the same time, we're asking the wrong questions in the wrong places, looking for answers in the wrong places. Why? Because if we're looking for God to reveal an answer to us when we ask God, what is your will for my life? We need to know, look no further than the word of God. And what it tells us. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And this is a famous passage, specifically verse 18 through 20. And this is a, this is a famous passage, it's commonly coined the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And this is often used to kind of describe, man, what is our mission and what is our purpose? And so as we kind of discuss these things, I want you guys to be, be certain of the fact that you have a purpose, and you've been given a purpose by God. I'm going to read it real quick, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. Awesome, sweet. Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Let me pray for us and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, We sing how great is our God. And as we sung those lyrics, and I pray that we would recognize the God that we're singing to. That same God that we're singing to has called us not just to lift holy hands to you, not just to sing out louder and louder, but to surrender and die to self and to live a life abandoned for the sake of the gospel. And God, for those of us that maybe feel no conviction or feel apathetic to the things of you, God, I pray that you would wake us up, 
that you would stir in us, that you would give us a passion and a zeal, a passion to share the gospel, but not only that, to make disciples. Lord, I know that many people in this room will be tempted, even just as they head into college, to not really go to church and to kind of not find their purpose in the church. And God, I pray that you would help us, help wake us all up. The reality that we are called to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this famous quote. Um, it's a quote by um, um, uh, the Westminster Catechism, okay? And so uh, Westminster Catechism was essentially this, this theological um, center where a bunch of theologians, theologians are just people that study the Bible, they got together and they basically were talking about like, what, is, what are some of the main points as we read through the Gospels, what are some of the main points that we can extract from these things that we can teach the church so that they have a better understanding of what they are to do? And one of those things... It's a famous quote, and it reads like this. It says, the chief end of man, the chief end of man, basically the overall purpose of mankind is to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And you might be asking yourself that question, like what does that even mean to glorify God, to exalt him? Because ultimately God and the purpose is not just that you guys would live a good life or a comfortable life, but ultimately that you, through everything that you do, glorify God. So many of us probably might be even asking the question, or maybe some of us, I don't know, man, if my purpose is to glorify God, why the moment I was saved, the moment I gave my life to Christ, whether it be at Hume Lake or at a youth group, or whether it was when my parents shared with me the gospel, the moment that that happened, why I wasn't zapped up into heaven worshiping him day and night forever and ever with the angels? Why do I have to live this life out? Why can't I just go to him when he calls me directly? And the, and the answer to that question is, the, is, is essentially God has given us a mission. God has given us a mission to complete here on earth. The moment you give your life to Christ is the moment that your life is no longer your own. And you actually now surrender your entire life to King Jesus and to Jesus who calls us to do these things that we just read about. And as a result, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And to figure out, man, what is our purpose? We're going to ask four different questions. It's who? Who is it that calls us to go? Who is this God that has called us to go and make disciples? What? What does he call us to do? Where are we to go? And why am I to go? Who, what, where, and why? And so we're going to start with who is this God that has called us to go? If you guys go back to, to verse 18 here, it says this. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in that moment, when he says, Go therefore, right after that, we have to ask ourselves the question, What just happened? If Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, 
we have to ask ourselves, why is he saying this? Because you guys might be asking the question, I thought Jesus already had authority. I thought that when Jesus is saying this, man, he was, before this point, he was healing lepers. He was healing the blind. We talked about it last night. He was going. He, he calmed the storms. He turned water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He did all these things. If anything, we know that Jesus had authority before this moment. Authority over everything. But when it says go therefore, we ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? It's like a common thing that we ask as we study the Bible. And we have to go back to what just happened. Jesus was performing miracles throughout his, throughout his life. You're right. He was doing these things. He had authority. But Jesus had just done the greatest miracle of all. He had just risen from the dead. And in this moment, he's appearing before his disciples and he is saying, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I hold the keys to death and life. And you are to do as I say. Because I just rose from the dead. Death has no hold on me. I am the king. Go, therefore. And so in this moment, the disciples, do you think in this moment as you were before Jesus Christ, as you were standing before the Son of God, and as he just rose from the dead, you couldn't really believe your eyes, if Jesus himself was standing right before you and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what would you do in that moment? You would bow your knees and worship, but what would you do? You would go. I pray that you would do that. And as a believer... I pray that you would have a high enough view of God, Jesus, the Son of God, who just rose from the dead, that you would recognize, man, there's something, something insane just happened. I have to do what this guy says. And the truth is, is that when it says disciples, he came before his disciples, and he appeared before his disciples, this is something in which we can actually take for ourselves. Why? Because if you are a believer in Christ, if you profess to believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple. And for those of us maybe don't even know what that word means, essentially a disciple just means somebody who's a student of the Lord, who studies the word, who, who, who follows after Christ. And so many of us, man, we think of Christianity as this one-time decision. You prayed a prayer one time, and then you're a Christian. You could put it in your Instagram bio, and you could just say, man, I, you know, I have a verse in my Instagram bio. I, I post about him every once in a while, and I'm a Christian. That's not actually what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ is that you are a disciple of Christ. And in, this, in this, these passages, we recognize disciples don't just follow Christ. They do what? They make disciples. They make more and more disciples. And so for some of us, maybe even just, you know, I'm speaking to you on the stage. You might think for the people that are on the stage, we're the ones tasked with the responsibility to go and make disciples. But as a believer, as somebody who's being changed and transformed by Jesus Christ, you are called to make disciples. It's not just us. Think about it. If every single person in this room chose to obey the word of God and began starting Bible studies, we were inviting non-Christians in where you were able to share the gospel with them 
And whether they, they understood it or whether they accepted it or not or whether that they surrendered their life to Jesus or not, you were sharing constantly. Imagine the impact of just one week of camp that you guys would have on the world around you. We need to have an understanding of who it is that calls us to go. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah is this famous Isaiah 6 is this famous passage where Isaiah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's, he has this vision of God, right? And so it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And in that moment, I think Isaiah, and as he was seeing who the Lord was, he didn't really even have language to say what he was saying. He just said, I just saw the Lord, and he was high, and he was lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and there was these creatures, and the creatures in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the creatures that were surrounding the throne of God were these creatures that we call the burning ones, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And as a result, Isaiah is just seeing this, this vision unfold before him. He's actually in the presence of God in this moment. And what does he do? He falls to his face and he says this. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. He's instantly exposed by the glory of God, the God that we were just singing to. How great is our God? It's the same God where these angels are surrounding his throne day and night, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. God, you are so holy. You're so other than. You're so different than us. And in this moment, Isaiah falls to his knees, and he says, woe is me. I can't even stand in your presence. I am an evil, wicked man. And then in this moment, God is sovereign, right? And when we say that God is sovereign, essentially we say that God knows everything. He knows every action that everyone will do, but not only does he know them, he controls all things. It says he is in, in the book of Psalms that he establishes his throne in heaven, so there's nothing under, that's not under his control. And so in this moment, God asks a question. And it's funny when every time God asks a question, because you know that God already knows the answer to that question, right? You know that God in his sovereignty and in his, in his knowledge and in everything that he knows, he knows the answer to the question he just asked. And in, in, in the chapter 6 of Isaiah, he asks this question, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? He knows the answer. Isaiah is a standing right before him. He's on his knees right before him. He's looking around, who shall go for me? And he knows that he's prompting Isaiah to, to walk in obedience in that very moment. And Isaiah on his knees, he says, here I am, Lord, send me. Man, if we actually understood the God that is calling us to do this, because he is calling us to do this. We are disciples, therefore Jesus if he's talking to his disciples, this applies to us. If Jesus, the same God, is calling us to go, do we really think we have the option? No. And a lot of us, the problem is we feel like we have an option. We feel like we can take it or leave it. We feel like we could live these comfortable Christian lives where we're going to church every Sunday 
and where we're, 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 we're in youth groups and where we're playing these games, and we don't recognize that God, the moment we have become disciples of Jesus Christ, is calling us to a greater mission and a greater purpose. Man, I want more than anything for myself. Man, in the times where I feel like, you know, running a camp is hard, and for 10 weeks it can be hard, and the times where I feel bogged down or feel just tired, and I'm like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, I just don't know I have the energy. I'm reminded of the fact that God has called me to do this and to give it everything I got for the sake of his name and for the sake of his gospel. But you might be asking yourself, well, it's like, yeah, I want, I want to serve the Lord. I want to know and want to obey him. I want to serve him in any way that I possibly can, but I just don't know what, what that looks like. I don't know what, what I'm called to do. Well, it's right here in this verse. If you guys go with me again, chapter 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And the temptation for us is to look at this verse and say, okay, I gotta, I gotta baptize, I, I've, I've, gotta, I've gotta make disciples, and I've gotta teach them, okay? And all three of those things, can I just encourage you for a second? All three of those things are already happening at your local church. And the problem with this generation, and I feel like, man, the problem with a lot of young people, I read this, this article recently, it was by Lifeway Research, and essentially it says that two in three teenagers, or not really teenagers, but young adults from the age of 18 to 22, said that they were active members in their youth group in their church when they were in high school because of youth group. And then the, by the time they got to college, they ended up stopped going to church. And ultimately, many of them began to denounce their faith. What's happening here? What's happening that's causing us to just feel this sense of lack of, of passion and zeal for the body of Christ, for the church? And so ultimately, I, I believe, and I, and, I, and I believe it to be true, that many of us don't recognize that you are called to be on mission. That you're not just called to go to a church just to sing some songs and be a consumer. But you're called to serve in your church and to be a part of your church and to invite those that don't know the Lord to your church to be active members, not just of your youth group, but as you graduate high school and get into college, to pick a church where you're invested and you're serving. Why? Because if you're doing that, then you're living out the mission that God has called you to do. To make disciples, to baptize, to teach. That's what the church does. And when you are a part of the church, you are living out the great commission. You are living out the greatest purpose and the only purpose that you've been given by God. And in our highly consumeristic culture, 
And we, we act as consumers when it comes to church. And this is part of the issue, right? We, 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 we like this worship song. We don't like that worship song. We like this style of preaching. We don't like this style of preaching. And we have all these critiques that build up on each other to where we have this list of if a church doesn't meet this list, then I'm not going to go. And ultimately, what ends up happening is, is really, truly, pretty much no church meets that list. And you end up saying, well, the church isn't really for me. It's judgmental, and I don't really like to be around those kinds of people. And then we blame the people in the church for being the reason that we don't go when, the, when Christ, Jesus, our king, is supposed to be our king, and we're supposed to obey him and not people. You are called to go and be a part of your church. I am a product of a, of, a, of a man, his name is John, and he, he was a youth group leader. He wasn't a pastor. He was invested in the youth group at the time. Not only was he invested in the youth group at the time, he was running Bible studies for adults, for young adults, and for high schoolers. And I was in his small group where we'd open up the word of God and we'd go through books like John and all these different books of the Bible. And he was an insurance agent. And he just loved discipling. And he just loved pouring in to young people. And to this day, man, he's seen some of, some of the people that have, were in his small group are going out and they're, they're preaching the gospel or they're going and they're, they're, they're active members and parts of the church. And it was just the most rewarding thing for him to see. That's what it's meant to live a life filled with purpose and meaning. To be a part of the church where you're sharing the gospel where you're opening God's word, where you're making disciples, and a lot of you guys, as you guys head into college, man, before you pick a college, I'd ask that you pick a church, that you'd actually find a church in that area, in a place where you're interested in going to college, and then you'd ask yourself, man, are they teaching the word, and are they preaching the gospel? Therefore, I'm going to go to that church, and I'm going to, and I'm going to invest everything that I have in that church. I'm going to start small groups. I'm going to start Bible studies. I'm going to go serve on the worship team because God has gifted me in that way. We are called to do these things. And it's clear in scripture, man, there's no disconnect here. All three of those things, baptizing, making disciples, teaching, those things happen in the local church. And I think we forget that. Many times as we talk about missions, we, we try and figure out the, man, like where, where are we to go, right? And a lot of times, man, as missionaries, we're, you know, we, everybody believes that they're a missionary, right? And like everybody believes, hey, yeah, I'm called to live a life on mission. I'm called to live and be a missionary in my own backyard. I'm called to go to my schools and share the gospel. And while all of that is true, you are called to go and invest in your local church. Where am I to go? Your local church. But for some of us, and this is amazing, for some of us, we are called to go abroad, globally, and to share the gospel with those that are in places where they have not heard the gospel, where they have no access to the word of God, where the word of God, the Bible, has not been translated to their language, and there are missionaries that go to these places that are trained, that learn the language, that are actually translating the Bible and bringing it to these people groups to where these people groups are now on fire for the Lord. 
And some of us, man, we're called to go and do these things and called to go into different countries. And you might ask yourself, well, it's like, man, if, I, if don't these areas have churches? Why can't I just do this in my, you know, in California and Los Angeles and in Fresno and these areas in which, you know, I'm surrounded by people that don't know the Lord? Well, there's this famous passage in the book of Romans, right? And, Roman, and, and Paul wrote the book of Romans at the very end in Romans 15. He says this. He says, from Illyricum all the way to Jerusalem, my work has been completed. What is he saying in that moment? He's saying, I've planted churches here, 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 and here. So all these churches have been planted, probably way not even close to the amount of churches that are just in Fresno, I'm sure. But he's planted all these churches, and what does he say? He says, my work here has been completed. Why? Because right after he says, I need to go, and I need to share the gospel with people that have not yet heard the good news. I need to go to a place where they have not previously heard the gospel, and I need to go and share it with them. And so he's making a statement. He's saying he's passing off the responsibility to those churches to be making disciples. And he's saying, you guys continue to do what you're doing. You guys are making disciples. When I make disciples, those disciples make disciples. And those disciples make disciples. And there's this ripple effect that ends up happening. And so when he says, man, you guys continue to do this, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go preach the gospel where it has not been preached and that's what a missionary does. Not everybody's a missionary. Everybody's called to live a life on mission. You're called to share the gospel no matter what. You're called to make disciples no matter what. You're called to invite people to church no matter what. But not everybody's called to be a missionary. Why? Because if everybody's a missionary, then nobody's a missionary. Missionaries read the word of God. They're trained to go and share the gospel in foreign languages, in places where they don't have access to the word of God. Not only that, they're, go, they're, they're to go and not just preach the gospel, with words but with actions and deeds to help serve the poverty in some of these areas and to help turn things around and I pray and I, and I hope that maybe some of you guys in this building and that God begins to stir in your heart and as I begin to speak on behalf of these things that you would be challenged to go and do these things Lastly, I mean, the most important question of all is why? Why should I go? And this seems kind of like a funny question after everything that we just talked about. Why should we go and share the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5.14, because the love of God compels us. The love of God compels us. Think about you in your own individual life. For those of you who are Christians, the grace and mercy that's been extended to you when you heard the gospel, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and from then on you've, you've pursued him. And what a blessing it is to live with the Lord and to live with Jesus and live with him as our king. But you've got to recognize something, that someone told you the gospel, that someone shared it with you. 
And then for us to just live our entire lives as someone told us, whether it be our parents or somebody that we look up to, a youth pastor, why do we feel like we can just live our lives without doing so? God has revealed himself to you, and guess what? He's trying to use you to reveal himself to other people. And you guys might be asking the question, couldn't he do it some other way? Couldn't he just give somebody a dream or, or somebody a vision or whatever it might be? But he chooses to use the church, the body of Christ, you guys. He chooses to use you. And some of us have used, I mean, we've heard this common saying where it says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. So we think, man, preaching the gospel means we just live a virtuous life, a life that looks like Christ. We just live it out. We just do nice things for people. But never once does that say that in the word of God. How did you come to know the Lord? Somebody told you the gospel verbally. Verbally. And obviously, if that person told you the gospel verbally, but just was just a jerk or was just living their life however they wanted, obviously it, it's not going to, you're, you're going to kind of question them, right? And so the problem, the temptation is not just to say, well, you just use words and it doesn't matter how you live. Of course it matters how you live. It's both. You preach the gospel both by the way you live and the words that you speak. In Romans 10, there's this famous passage, and even Sarah just brought it up at the beginning of the week. I kind of close with this. It says this, for everyone who calls, Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. How then will they hear, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. When Paul's asking this question, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? The answer to that question is that they won't. Unless somebody hears the gospel and is given the opportunity to respond to it, unless somebody is presented with the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel, they will not call upon the name of the Lord because they don't know who he is. So what a great burden it is for us to go and share these things. There's a lot of theological debates and people have these arguments. Well, well, if, if they never knew the gospel, if they never had any access to the word of God, are they really responsible for living a life? And are they actually going to spend an eternity in hell away from God? And the answer to that question is yes. Why? Because as we read the scriptures, Paul is clearly asking this question. And he already knows the answer. How will they believe in him from whom they have never heard? Our job is not to sit and ask these theological questions every single day, day and night, while people don't know the Lord. 
Our job is just to be obedient to Christ and to go out into the nations and to go out into our schools and our communities, invite people to church where they're able to hear the gospel and where they're able to be discipled and where they're able to be baptized and where they're able to live a life for him and then they are going to make disciples. And God begins to change lives in multitudes. There's this famous missionary, his name is William Carey, and he was a missionary in the late 1700s, and he's oftentimes referred to as the father of modern missions, right? And he was this missionary that would go, and like I said, he was in India at the time when he wrote this, and he was preaching the gospel to to these people, and he writes this famous quote in one of his books. He says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. He's just being faithful. He's not counting necessarily the amount of people that are saved. He's not banking on those, the, the amount as his success. He is just obeying the Lord in faithfulness and proclaiming the gospel to many people that have never heard it. And countless people came to know Christ through William Carey. And he had perhaps maybe even just a small amount of, you know, responsibility to even say, man, I'm succeeding at these things. But what does he say? He says, I'm not afraid of failure. He's probably seen a lot of failure. He's probably been rejected, beat up, thrown in prison, sleepless nights. He's not afraid of those things. What is he afraid of? Succeeding at things that don't matter. What could matter more than being a part of a mission that changes eternities? The greatest danger for you and I is not persecution, as being a Christian. I was reading this argument this article about the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And in China, there's these believers, right? And they're, they're, they're meeting in, in homes and in garages and in, in, in underground basements, and they're gathering together with the Word of God, and they're reading the Word of God, and they're preaching the Word of God. And at the same time, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is cracking down on them. And the way in which they're cracking down on them is they're taking the Bible, the word of God, and they're rewriting it to support communist ideas, and to support their own political agendas. They're rewriting the pages of scripture. They're rewriting things to mean things that, they, that, that God never intended it to mean, and they're forcing these pastors to preach from these Bibles and the only Bibles that can be possessed soon, the only Bibles that are allowed, they're going to be allowed to be possessed are these Bibles that have been rewritten. And so what are these churches doing? Well, they have to meet in these hidden places. They have to meet in these garages, in these caves, in these, in these basements. They have to meet in these places. And Christianity is exploding in China. Why? Because they are zealous for the gospel. 
Because though they face persecution, there's nothing that's going to stop them. Why? Because they have a high view of God. They know what they've been called to. They know where they're to go. And they know exactly why they've been called to do that. And the greatest danger, you know, it might seem like we're heading into more persecution in America for just believing in the Bible and believing in Jesus Christ. We're getting more and more pushed to the sides. It almost seems like we're in exile. Every time we bring up the word of God or we bring up Christianity, people get triggered or whatever it might be. It might seem like we're heading in that direction. Can I just tell you, we're nowhere, we're nowhere close to some of these other places that are actually experienced persecution. So the greatest danger for you and I is not persecution. It's our zeal and passion for the gospel growing cold. And what I want us to do is wake up to understand that God has called us and that we're not just to live a life as we head down this hill for ourselves. If we truly believe in Jesus Christ and he is our king, then we would do whatever he says. Second Corinthians 5.14, the love of God compels us. Do you love God? Do you recognize that God loves you? And our job in sharing the gospel, in essence, what he's saying there, we're to be ambassadors of Christ, we're to represent Christ, to extend that love to other people. Why? Because it, love was extended to you. We had the opportunity this year to partner with an organization called JAM. Uh, Jubilani African Missions, or Ministries, and the missionary that kind of started this organization, his name is Jit, and he is a South African, um, and he actually uh, came to Ponderosa one year, and in this chapel, he was convicted to go and start a missions organization in his home country, the nation of South Africa, not only sharing the gospel with words, but sharing it in deed. And he began to start this, this mission jam where they would make disciples. They would partner with churches. They would partner with camps. They would partner with other ministries such as surfing ministries, skating ministries, and they would do all these things for the, one, for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with these people. But not only that, raising up leaders and disciples to go and make disciples as well. And so we created a little video for you guys. Take a look at the screens, and you guys can check it out. Amen. That guy's got the coolest voice. I think South African accent is the freaking best accent ever. Um, hey, real quick, before we... Uh, we're going to kind of end with a, a time of worship, but before we do that, uh, we're actually going to take an offering. And the offering um, is going to go to... One of two places, um, or essentially it's going to go to two places. It's not going to go anywhere here on the lake, so don't worry. It's not coming to any operations that are happening here at Hume Lake. Ultimately, what our offering is going to go to is our missionaries. And just like you saw, JIT is one of our missionaries this year, and he's um, running his organization, Jam Ministries, and you can you can see, man, he is starting to break ground in northern South Africa, and he's starting to partner with the churches up in the Limpopo province, where they're starting to run Christian camps up in that, up in that area. Camps like this, where we're able to share the gospel. And not only will offering go to that, but offering will also go to Hume International. 
And just like we're partnering with Jam Ministries, Hume partners with a number of different organizations to run camps, Christian camps, just like you are experiencing this week in countries such as Papua New Guinea, in countries like Thailand, in countries like Mexico, all these different countries, Nigeria. And so as we go and as we do these things, we're running these programs so that students that would come to these camps would hear the gospel and that we were able to share the gospel with these people. And so just know, I'm going to ask the, that we would, the, the leads are going to bring down the offering bags to the front and we're going to begin offering. And in this time, also music's going to be playing. We're going to end with a time of worship. But as the offering is being sent around, I want us just to pray. Before we begin singing, before we begin worshiping the Lord, I want us to pray And I want us to ask the Lord to give us a greater passion to share the word of God and to share the gospel of those that don't know it. And that God would give us a greater burden for those that don't know the word of God. But not only that, would we just pray for Jam Ministries and Jit and his team as they're beginning to partner with churches in northern South Africa? Can we do that? Awesome. Let's pray together. I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, You have called us to live a life on mission. God, we live lives of immense comfort and lives in which, man, we're distracted by so many different things and the greatest danger for us is not persecution. It's not people disagreeing with us. Man, it's us just not caring and being apathetic to the truth. God, may you place on our hearts the realization that anyone who doesn't know you or has not surrendered their life to you is going to spend an eternity away from you. God, it is your desire that all would come to the knowledge of you and that all would come to repentance and be saved. And God, for our own lives, man, it's our lives are not meant to be consumers. We're not meant to just go to church to consume We're meant to be invested. And for those of us, God, that are starting to feel the call to global missions, to be missionaries abroad, God, I pray that you would challenge us first to get invested in our local churches, to share those things with our pastors so that we can foster that passion, that we can be supported as we go abroad. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, even just in this room. Those that struggle, maybe to even just understand what the Bible is talking about when it talks about salvation, when it talks about the gospel, the good news. Lord, us on this stage, our words are not perfect. We know that you're a good God and you speak through us. So, Father, I pray that you continue to transform hearts this week. God, I pray for Jam, and I pray for the work that you're doing there. God, would you be with Jit and his team as they continue to do your work, as they continue to partner with the local church, as they continue to share the gospel through skating and surfing ministries and through all sorts of different ministries that they're a part of. Father, we're thankful for you. You are a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.